Welcome to the Legacy House Podcast. Our mission as a church is to equip people to know God, live free, and find purpose. We express the mission of our church through adoration, biblical teaching, creativity, and discipleship. We have prepared this message for you, and we know God is going to use it to minister to you wherever you are and in whatever situation you're going through. Man, wasn't that uh, skate stuff so awesome? Uh, Crazy. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you got the the chance to meet Jason, um, and you should meet him and his wife, Keely, and they have a little daughter. She's 20 months old. Her name is Harley, and uh, you should meet their whole little family uh, after the service. They're a phenomenal family, and uh, they represent really uh, just uh, a, a, a number of people that God has divinely brought into Legacy House, and, and not just has brought people in uh, to sit and observe what's going on, but has brought people in to actively play a part in, uh, in what's happening and what's going on uh, here at Legacy House. So it was a killer day yesterday. We had, uh, we had nearly uh, 200 people out there, and uh, it, was just, it was just absolutely awesome. And uh, I agree with Jason, not just because you know I, I lead this, but I, I agree with Jason with the fact that I'm proud to be a part of a church that is active inside of its community. Um, I, I don't. I, I wanted to. I think when me and Bethany set out on, on this endeavor to to plant Legacy House, our, our goal and our ho- hope was um, that that we would lead the type of church that we would want to attend. Uh, I know it's a novel idea, um, but we 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 wanted to lead the type of church that we'd want to attend, where we really could just sink our teeth into something, that there was, there was something of substance there where people were actually being impacted, actually being reached, and actually being served with the good news uh, of the kingdom of God. So uh, we're, we're getting the opportunity to do that with so many of y'all, and, and I do agree with what, what they said, which is all of this that we have, just like in the next, what, f- less than two weeks, we have three major events that are going to be going on, um, and we just kind of refuse to take our foot off the gas. And uh, just not who we are or what we're going to do. And, uh, and your generosity is what makes that possible. We can all have great dreams and ideas and plans about what we want to see God do. But at the end of the day, if we ourselves, all of us collectively, are not generous uh, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, the things that God has placed in our hands, then we will uh, we'll miss some, some really key opportunities to reach our city. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. Um, that's where we're going to go this morning, spend a little time in the Word of God. We're starting a brand new series today. Um, the new series that we're starting is called The House That God Builds, and uh, we really wanted to uh, take the next few weeks. We've got some exciting stuff that we're going to do today. Uh, we've got some uh, just different ways that we're going to continue to build all month long uh, on this idea that the house that God builds, and then we're going to wrap up uh, our month series uh, with a, an exciting announcement as a church uh, about what God is doing inside of our house and where he's leading us even in our future. And uh, I, I really tell you, to tell you that, that God is doing a lot um, in not just our house, but in the city of Pensacola would be a gross understatement. Um, it, it would just be really selling God short to say he's doing a lot. He's doing exceedingly abundantly above. We're kind of in, in one of those seasons, I feel like right now as a church, where it's an exceedingly abundantly above type of season for us. So if you've got your Bibles, you're going to go with me to Genesis chapter 11, and I'm going to read a few verses here for you today. If you don't have your Bible, they'll be up on the screen for you. 
chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. It says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language, and they used the same words. It says, As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. Since they begin saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used, the bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. And this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Verse 5 it says, but the Lord came down and he looked at the city and the tower where the people were built. And he said, look, he said, the people are all united. They all speak the same language. And after this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7 says, Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Verse 8, it says, In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there were, that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. And in this way, he scattered them all over the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for what you're doing. God, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the word that you want to speak to us today. God, we thank you, Lord, that your spirit, God, is alive and is active and is breathing today. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would, you would go before us. God, we pray that your word uh, would be true, God, to our ears and to our hearts today. Lord, we love you and give you praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, so we're, as we start this new series, The House That God Builds, I believe it's really important that we look at, from a biblical perspective, what is it that God wants to build? Um, it, it's one thing to, to have our ideas of what God should build. It's another thing to understand what God actually wants to build. It's interesting because we, we say it often. We're going to continue to say it in this season. It's, it's interesting the fact that we in church, uh, in, in Christianity and in the church world, we can kind of create and build some mental ideas of the church that we think God wants to build rather than the church that God actually wants to build. Uh, we can kind of create um, ideas, mindsets, a template that we think is how God wants to move and speak and, 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 and operate inside of our city, but often it's not what God actually wants to do. We often create an environment for ourselves that is the most comfortable and conducive to us. We know our strengths and often we know our weaknesses, and when we know both of those things, we we kind of set the bar at a pretty attainable set, at a pretty attainable level for ourselves. We kind of can set it in a place that really is a is a safe space for us, where we know that we can reach it. It might require a little bit of effort, but it's really not going to require everything that we have. I believe that for us as a church and what God wants to speak inside of this, inside of these next few weeks, is I believe God wants to lead us from the place of just being comfortable uh, in in the vision, in the dream, in the plan that God has for us and for our but I really believe that God wants to move us to the point of complete and total faith. I believe really genuinely that God wants to lead us to the place of complete and total faith. You can operate in partial faith. You can operate in a measure of faith. That's why the Bible says that at salvation, you receive a measure of the Holy Spirit. You don't receive all of the Holy Spirit. That's theologically incorrect. You receive a measure of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus instructed his disciples, and then later the, the disciples instructed the earlier church in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in receiving all of the Holy Spirit. The, uh, the, the men who went into the upper room and they received the Holy Spirit that day, they weren't um, 
unsaved people. They, they weren't people who weren't already followers of Christ. They were already followers of Christ. And really, they were those who had followed closely with Christ. And now they find themselves in this spot where now they have to receive the fullness of what God has for them. I believe that the greatest mistake that we can make as a church is to look past the fullness of what God has for us. That we could just receive a portion of what he has. We could kind of live life off of the appetizers of Christianity without ever really getting to the full meal. We could kind of be comfortable. You ever, you ever gone to a restaurant and you order appetizers? Or maybe it's, you don't order an appetizer, you just go to some place that serves unlimited bread. And, uh, and about six baskets into your bread, you decide that you're really not even hungry for your meal. You really ate nothing of substance, but you filled up kind of on the appetizer. You filled up on, on the first course, so to speak. And in our lives, I believe it's very, very possible. And not only is it very possible, but I believe that it's very normal for us to get full on the thing that wasn't even meant to fill us. For us to get full of the thing that was like, it's great, it's good, like it's nice, like everybody loves the garlic breadstick, but at the same time, that's not what you actually ordered. That's not even actually what you're paying money for. That's just a bonus. That's just a benefit because you ordered something of substance. You get this for free. But often we fill up on the free thing and never actually get to the thing of substance. On, and so many churches live in that realm. So many people live in that realm where we're full on the free stuff, but we never have actually allowed the thing of substance to settle inside of our heart and our life. I can promise you this. We will never have so much money that we have nothing to do with it. We're never going to be at the place where we're like, we've got all this money. We don't know what to do. I guess we should just stack it in the corner and sit on it. Like, no, like that's not going to happen for us. Why? Because the vision has to always be advancing. I love what Jason said where it's like, do not let this skate outreach be the thing that you're talking about at the end of 2017. But in the same way, how many times have we done that in our own life? We're talking about an encounter that we had 12 years ago with God. And it's like, has he said nothing to you since that point? No, that was the last big moment. Maybe that was the last big moment because there were some things that he gave you to fulfill in that moment that you've never fully fulfilled. Therefore, he has nothing else to say to you. It's funny because like, maybe you've never been in an argument before. I've been in a couple. Um, I have strong opinions, uh, and <clears throat> I have uh, explosive opinions. And so my opinions, my opinions, I don't need anybody to say, there you go, okay? Like, you're testing, <laughs> Jesus. No, but like, I, I, like, I have like, um, like you can, when you find an opinion of mine, you know that you found it. It's not like, you don't have to say, no, I wonder what he thinks about that. Like, no, when you, when you find an opinion of mine, you, 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 you really, really find it. And sometimes what happens in, in, in an argument is sometimes you just have to like, you know, you just have to walk away. Uh, there's just a moment where you're just like, you know what, there, there's really nothing left to be said here. And often in our lives, and today as we kind of dive into the house that God builds, I believe that there's some things that God kind of wants to begin to instruct to our heart and to our life that he really wants to say and then walk away. I, I, I don't want to be the type of believer who has to constantly be led by the hand of the Lord babying me every single moment and every single step, every single breath that I take. I, I want him to walk with me but not have to lead me along. I want to be the type of person who he's, if anything, having to hold me back. 
I, I want to have so much faith and so much, so much boldness that there's really nothing that like, I, I, like I'm just kicking down the door waiting for God to actually allow it to be open. Genesis chapter 11, you see a very interesting story because you see this idea that here is, just so we kind of have a little bit of historical context, I believe it's important. I like history. You might not because you're going to have to hang on with me. Uh, so the, Noah and, and, and had just ridden out the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. The flood had receded. Uh, the, the boat had rested on the mountain. Uh, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, they all come out of the ark. And uh, the Bible talks a little bit about them in Genesis chapter 10. And, uh, and as he talks about them here, he kind of tells a little bit about their families and what they're going to do. And then you find this moment that I believe really is, 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 for a lack of a better term, is the euphoric moment that so many churches and Christians say currently today in 2017 that we need as a church, but it didn't work then and it won't work now. Here's what happens. Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it says, At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. I cannot tell you how many times in my Christian life and in my ministry life this summer I'll have been in ministry full-time for 11 years. And it's funny because, like, I'm really, really young, but I can't tell you how many times I have heard people say that what we need in the body of Christ is unity. If we're going to change a city, what we need is unity. I believe that that is wrong. I believe that it's wrong. Because I think that what happened was there was never a moment where the people of the world were more unified than Genesis chapter 11. There was never a time in history when people were more unified than Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. I'll read it to you again just so you don't think I'm making this up and I'm bordering on the line of heresy, okay? It says that one time all the people of the world spoke the same languages and used the same words. Go with me on this, okay? Like, check your Sunday school theology at the door, and let's actually dive down into some biblical theology. Okay, there's a big difference. Let's dive down into the biblical theology here of what God is actually trying to say. So many people spend all of their life screaming about unity. What the body of Christ needs is unity. What we need is we just all need to speak the same language. We need to all be moving with the same mandate. That is absolutely factually incorrect. Because if we were all supposed to say the same things and do the same things, then God would not have needed to create us uniquely different. If we were all designed to say the same thing, believe in the same thing, dress the same way, go the same places, have the same passions, then God would have created us all identically the same. It's like my girls. I, I have twin girls. They just turned a year last Wednesday. And my girls are twins, but my girls are not identical twins. You know that identical twins even have the same thumbprint? All of an identical twin's fingerprints are the same. That's why you've ever heard of those murder cases where like a twin will kill somebody? Seriously, and they pin it on the other twin? Not today. Nope, not happening. So seriously, you think I'm lying. Identical twins uh, have the exact same fingerprints, which is crazy, right? Like it's weird. And often we want to live like that. We think the body of Christ has been called to be identical twins. Now, my girls were both born on the exact same day, but they are different. They're fraternal twins. They're not identical twins. So, yes, they were born at the exact same moment and in the exact same way, but they are two uniquely, completely different people. And inside of the body of Christ, we spend a lot of time talking about how we need to be unified. And really what we mean by unified is not actually what unified means. What we mean by unified is we want it to be, A, non-confrontational, 
don't make me feel bad for what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. And we need to all say the same thing, believe the same thing, want the same thing. But in the same way that my girls are uniquely different, they look different, they're different sizes, they're different weights, they have different hair. Like my girls are completely 100% different, even though they were born on the same day and they are daughters and they're sisters. It's the same way for us as believers. I believe that God is calling us, as we look at this and we set the premise, I believe that God is calling us to be people who understand that we come from the same source. God is our father, but at the same time, at the same time, he has called us to be uniquely different. Please, if I could encourage you with anything, stop making excuses for the way that God created you. Don't be ashamed of the passion that God has given you. Man, don't, 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 be, don't hide the style that God has given you. Because here's the thing, if we all say that we like the same thing and we all dress the same way and we all do the same thing, then we're going to miss some major opportunities to really, really reach people. I don't skate. I mean, I roller skate, I guess, but like, I, I don't skateboard, okay? Like, I don't. But that doesn't mean that we're only going to do things that I do. Well, we're going to be a type of church who just does what I like to do all the time. No. If we only did that, we would have missed an opportunity to reach about 200 people yesterday. But we do have somebody who is passionate about it and does have insight on it and can get behind it and lead it. And because of that, we're uniquely reaching people that we wouldn't have if we would have stayed with inside of our own common, normal, unique bubble. Okay, so I've got a few things I'm going to give to you today. The first thing is this. My design, and I want you to write these are kind of statements about yourself and about me as well. My design is to be different. My design is to be different. God created you uniquely to be different. We'll find this a little bit later here in the story of Genesis chapter 11 where the Lord comes down and he talks and he looks and he sees all these things and then he scattered them. If God's ultimate goal was for us to all speak the same language, do the same thing, look the same way, dress the same way, have the same passions, have the same past, have the same future, all of those things, he would have looked down on Babel and said, you guys are killing the game. Like, they would have been the greatest, like, Christians of all time. But here's what happened with the Tower of Babel. This is why these people did this, is because this was birthed, this moment, this city was birthed out of trauma. They became a tribe because of trauma. Ham, Shem, and Japheth, they begin to, like, procreate, and they begin to populate the earth. And you find in Genesis chapter 9 a very specific statement that the Lord makes. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he says this, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, and he told them, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. It's interesting because in that statement, the Lord does not say, hey, you've been through a really, really traumatic experience and what you need is each other. So what you should do is you should create a city, build some walls, build a tower, protect yourself in case this ever happens again. That's not what I read in Genesis chapter 9. This is the Lord blessed Noah and his sons. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. He didn't say fill a city. He didn't say fill this plain. He said, no, I have called you to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And you look back at Genesis chapter 11 and down in verse 2, it says, As the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. This is important that you know that the entire known human race was living on this plain. 
Every single theologian, every single historian agrees with the fact that Noah's sons and all of their descendants were all living in this exact same place. Everybody, the whole world was living in one plane. And the reason that most theologians believe that they chose this plane is because it was one of the few places that they had discovered that they could all actually fit and live together. So here they find themselves speaking the same language, saying the same things, wanting the same thing. They all wanted to build this city. They all believed that this would be kind of their crowning achievement. We're going to stick together. But they became a tribe because of their trauma. Please do not tribe up with people. Connect yourself to people because of the trauma that you've walked through. A lot of times we use our past, we use our pain, we use our frustrations to choose who we're going to link and connect ourselves to. And all of these people had just experienced or just heard the story of what had happened with their kind of patriarchs of their family, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and Noah, and they did not want that to happen to them. So their sole method and motive was self-preservation. How can I preserve myself? You can see this in the church world because what we've done is we've erected these giant buildings to preserve ourselves from the world outside of our four walls. A lot of historians, there's this guy named Josephus who sounds like he's from East Milton. Uh, like, a, like a, There's this historian, yeah, true story. His real name is Josephus. His belief was is that when they were building this city, they were actually erecting the walls high enough that if the floodwaters came again, they would be able to protect themselves. Really, so from its inception, they were trying to build, the, build a protection, not just from the outside world, but really even from God himself. That I know me, and I know my heart, and I know these people, and we're good people. We love the Lord. There's a lot of good people who will not spend eternity in heaven. A lot of great people who will not spend eternity in heaven. Because it's just like we looked at last week as we closed out our woke series. We looked out of the verse out of Hebrews chapter 9, I believe it was. And the line opens up with this story and it says, but what does this mean? It was great. I loved last week because we talked about it and said, but what does this mean? The Jewish people were so confused because they were like, wait, so the Gentiles are being made right with God and they're not even trying. And I'm trying absolutely everything with my own power and I'm still not being made right with God. How is all of this possible? They are sinners being made right, and I am a savior, I'm a saint, and I'm still not right with God. And it's because inside of it all, they missed really what the true heart and fact was, which was God desires actual relationship. So here you have these people at Babel, and they begin to build this great city, and they moved into this plain because they wanted to protect themselves because this was a tribe who had experienced trauma. This was a group of people who had walked through some stuff. And so what they needed to do was they needed to surround themselves with some people who could protect them from that ever happening again. I can promise you this, is that if the people you surround yourself with are the protection from your future, you will always, always, always fall short. Because I cannot protect you. And the person next to you cannot ultimately protect you. I can pray for you. I can believe for you. I can protect you some in the natural. But at the end of the day, God's will will be done. His plan will come to pass. And here's this people who I'm sure that they had convinced themselves that what they were doing was right in the eyes of God. What we need to be is we need to be unified. We need to all be on the same page. We need to just believe in the same thing, want the same thing. We'll build the same city. Like, that's what we need. When really that wasn't what they needed at all. What they needed to understand was that they needed to understand that my design 
is to be different. God created you, and he created me. He built you to be different. He built you to be the type of person who actually believed that he was God and lived in such a way that it honored and glorified him. I don't know about you, but I am really, really tired of being a part of churches who really know how to construct a good service or know how to build a good monument, but do nothing with the call of God on their life. It's because they've fallen into this trap to believe, well, I'm just, we're supposed to all say the same thing. My, my church, we, we, wear, we, wear, we wear polos at my church. So everybody, we, we, all the guys wear polos. It's just what we, why? I don't know, it's just what we do. We just, we're, we're like, we, we wear, we're polo-wearing guys. Well, who made that decision? Well, you know, the, somebody did. Like, you know, like there's, there's no real thought behind it. It's just, we just kind of are all unified. Man, that is a huge waste of your life. Why? Because God created you to be different. What are you passionate about? Like, what, what do you, like, lay awake at night and think about? It doesn't have to be, like, Old Testament, like, uh, you know, eschatology. It could simply be about anything. It might be a hobby. It might be a passion. It might be a dream that you have. Maybe God can use that very thing to make an impact and a difference in the world that he's created around you. I refuse. I, I made, I mean, I think I talked about this last week. I refuse as a church as we go forward. We have, like, no staff, so that's kind of cool. It's really super fun. Um, but, like... We have like no staff, but I refuse to pay for some, I, repu- I refuse to pay somebody for something they're not doing for free. I'm going to say that to you again. I refuse to pay somebody for something they're not doing for free. That goes counterintuitive to everything inside of our brain. Well, if you pay me, I'll do it. Hey, we need some people to set, show up early and move some chairs. Well, if you pay me, I'll be there. That's what the Bible refers to as a hireling. Is that we're committed because of what we receive rather than what we get the opportunity to give. We didn't come to you last week and say, hey, look, we're doing a skate outreach. We want to take up a special operating for the skate outreach. It's going to be awesome. We want to raise money to give away a GoPro, and we're going to hand out 25 pizzas, and we're going to, you know, whatever. We didn't, we didn't take up a special offering. Why? Because it's not something special we do. It's just who we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's not something special we do. Like, it's not, well, we decided to get, no, it's just who we are. I don't need to take up a special offering for who I am. No, I don't, I, I don't have to ask permission to be who I am, and neither do you. You just need to be who God has created you to be. Your design is to be different. Verse 2, it says, As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. Verse 3, it says, They begin saying to each other, Let's make bricks, and we'll harden them with fire. And in this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and the tar was used for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build a great city for ourselves. That's important. Unity, or false unity, can always and will always come very self-centric. We all say the same thing. We all do the same thing. And you know the problem with that is, is there's never anyone to contradict what's actually happening. There's never anybody who's going to speak up and say, hey, but are we actually sure this is what God has said? Can you show me in the word where this is a priority to God? So what happens is they begin to build this city and they begin to really kind of proclaim the fact that they wanted to build this great city to themselves with a tower that reaches to the sky. The end of verse 4, it says, this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered. This will make us famous and this will keep us from being scattered. 
Which, like we said a minute ago, goes completely against Genesis chapter 9, where Jesus, where the Lord came down and he blessed Noah and his sons, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. This goes 100% against Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. They said, look, we're going to build this great city. We're going to build this great tower to ourselves. And maybe this will make us famous. And if I get famous, then guess what? I don't have to get scattered. And I can stay right here with my people and my little safety net and my four walls, and I can believe that inside of this city, I'm okay. And what happened was that the city that they built was not the city that God wanted to build. You see, you look down in verse, in verse 4, it says, But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that people were building. Look, he said, the people are united, and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. If you put a pause right there at the end of this statement and you just ended the day like that and you walked away, it would really be a, uh, a, a, a endorsement to the fact of the unity that the people in Babylon or the, the people in Babel had here. It would really be an endorsement to, to what they were trying to do, all speaking the same language, all doing the same thing. But what the Lord knew that they were was what was already inside of their hearts. He knew that the city that they were building was the city that they were building for themselves. The desire in building the city wasn't just to have protection, but really the desire to build the city was so that they could make a name for themselves and so that they could become famous. And once they become famous, surely God would not scatter us then. If I can just achieve some level of spirituality that makes me feel attained or whatever it might be that I've arrived, wherever that is, then God will not scatter me. Man, often we live our lives that exact same way. That if I can just be good enough in my own life, then I won't actually have to do the thing God is calling me to. If I, if I, you know, if I just read my Bible enough and I just pray enough, then I really won't need to step out in faith because I'm like a, a dynamic Bible reader. God needs some dynamic Bible readers, right? Like, so like, he doesn't actually need me to, to, to step out in faith and be active in the thing that he's called me to, right? Like, we kind of live in this world in this bubble like the people in Babel did where they, they, they created this mindset that if I just, if I build myself up enough, then maybe I won't actually have to be who God has called me to be. Maybe if I just, if I, if I work hard enough, if I strive hard enough, if I, if I look the part, maybe I won't actually have to step out in faith. But when we understand that my and your design is different. There's another thing that we have to understand. We have to understand that my responsibility, so your responsibility, my responsibility is not everybody. My responsibility is not everybody. God has not called me to reach everybody. And what happens is you kind of have this mentality and mindset being permeated through Genesis chapter 11. And they begin to take on this idea of like, well, what, it's, a, it's an everybody thing. No, it's a somebody thing. God has not called me to reach everybody because I am not everybody. But I am somebody who can reach somebody. The people I can maybe reach are going to be different than the people that you can reach. And the people you can reach are going to be different than the people who are sitting next to you can reach. God has not called us to reach everybody. My responsibility is not everybody, but my responsibility is somebody. So there's gaps and there's holes in the kingdom of God and there's gaps and there's holes in Christianity and there's gaps and there's holes in people being reached when not just when one of us or two of us or three of us are doing what God has called us to, but it's when there's one or two or three of us who are not doing what God has called us to. You ever heard this phrase that says that, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link? How is that any different inside of the kingdom of God? 
Well, but, you know, pastor, you're, you're a pastor. That's why I call you pastor. And I don't even know why I call you pastor. I just, we kind of live in this mindset in this world where it's like, well, I just, you know, I, I, I've got a really busy schedule. Guess what? Everybody sitting on your row has a busy schedule. But I've got kids. Well, a lot of us have kids. Lucky has a really, really fresh kid. <laughs> Straight out the womb. It's true. Don't believe me? Just go look at it. It's like this big. But we all have kids. You have my job, you don't understand. No, we all have jobs. So where is the end of the excuse? That's why I have to ask myself the question. Where is the end of the excuse? Because what can happen is, is when we live in an everybody mindset, we can be so overwhelmed with that idea that we actually do nothing. God wants me to build everything. No, God wants you to build the thing he placed in your hands. Well, the house that God builds, he wants to reach everybody. He does, but you might only be able to reach somebody. And if you'll reach that somebody and the person next to you will reach their somebody, so forth and so on, multiplied throughout this room, then we can reach everybody. But as long as we sit in a spot where we're worried about everybody and not worried about the somebody, we'll overlook the actual person that we probably could impact because of these glorious dreams inside of our head one day when we're standing on a stage somewhere in front of the nations like Reinhard Bonnke, like with a cameraman, like looking out over hundreds of thousands of people of the crusade that we're leading. Guess what? If we can't invite somebody to know Jesus at Starbucks, God is never going to send us to the mission field to invite hundreds of thousands of people. And guess what? I'm not saying that like you've got a lineup today and like we're going to all go like, you know, we've created these signs for you and we're all going to go stand on the corner this afternoon and we're going to shout at people, especially people with their windows down. Like, I'm not saying that's going to be our, our mandate and our mission. But what I am saying is at least they're doing something. You might not like their method and their method might not be that effective, but at least they've got a method. And it's much easier to sit inside of our air-conditioned car and criticize them for being out there and yelling, who actually gets saved doing that? Well, somebody did. And guess what? Inside of our lives, it's much easier to sit and point the finger at the people who are reaching somebody because we've got these dreams of reaching everybody when at the whole time we're reaching nobody. Well, hey, man, one day I'm going to see the nations come to Christ in Jesus' name. I'm going to submit that to whatever, you know, like website. And I have a word that God, well, maybe your word is just to like actually get up, open your mouth and go talk to somebody. Like maybe if the word and, and like, you know, pardon, you know, my language on this, but maybe if what God wants to lead you to is something that's not actually that sexy. There it is. Thank you. What if God doesn't actually, what if the dream that God has for you is not this like, whoo, amazing, like, my God, whoa, Jesus. He wants me to have a plane. He wants me to have an international ministry. There's going to be eagles in my logo. Like, you know, I, I have been called to the, well, great. All those things are awesome. There's nothing wrong with any of them. But look, hey, what if God's call for you right now in this season of your life is to minister to the person who sits next to you at your job every day? What? Crazy, right? Man, God, he wouldn't call me to that, would he? I can promise you, if you can't answer the call to the person next to you, you're never going to answer the call to the people around you. You're never going to answer the call to the nations. You're never going to answer the call to your city. Because it's, it's about everybody. I just don't have time for them. I, I've got time for the nations. Come back to me in 30 years when you've done nothing. 
and you're living off the same prophetic word you heard decades ago. Like, come on. I don't got time for that. Like, you ever have time? Sometimes I get so, like, frustrated when I'm preaching and amped up about all this. I just literally want to turn off my mic and go home. Like, this is just, you know, like, not because, like, not because any of it's bad, but because this is what it has to be inside of our bones. Like, inside of our bones. Like, it's funny. It's funny how many people can talk about the Lord all day long, but then when you give them opportunity to step into action, they instantly need a break. They're overwhelmed. They're tired. I just been, you know how long I've been doing this? Yeah. But there's a big difference between motion and movement. Yeah, you've been jogging in place for years. And look up, you, you've worn a hole out in the carpet. But where have you actually moved? Had a whole lot of motion. You're sweating. I get it. I can see you sweating. But I'm working over here. Yeah, you're working, but you're not going anywhere. I thought, I, I'm not talking, like, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. Like, how many times in my life have I looked up and there's been a whole lot of motion and not a lot of movement? Whole lot of flash, whole lot of things that make you feel good, whole lot of things that you want to tweet or put on Facebook or put on Instagram about, man, this is awesome. There's nothing much better than when you have an event that you don't have to take the picture from the right angle to make it look full. <laughs> you ever seen that? Like people like, I get it, I get it. It's one thing to where you don't have to take the picture to make it look full, but it just actually is full. Because inside of our four-wall system and inside of our four-wall structure, you understand that the idea of the local church building is really a concept that only became popular in the last hundred years? Really, in the last hundred years, the idea of church campuses only became possible in our ministry for years. And I'm not saying we'll never have a church campus, but what I am saying is, is if it costs us mobility in our ministry, we'll never have one. And that's like, oh, but I get it here and set up. Well, that's, here's the fruit in that. Raise somebody up to do what you do. Because you know what happens inside of church walls? It's very easy in a brick and mortar structure to get complacent. It's me and my three, and we're going to sit here and we're going to worship the Lord until he comes back. And then that three is going to become two because number three just died off. And then two is going to become one because number two just died off. And then you're left with one person holding on to something that never fully materialized. I told you last week there's a story. Of, I, went to, I went to a church here in town the other day and they have about 15 people who come now in a 600-seat auditorium with a balcony. And outside of their, outside of their little plaque on the nursery that's now closed, it says, Pensacola's, Sunday's home to Pensacola's most beautiful babies. It's a cute plaque. I took a picture of it. Loved it. Sad thing is, there hasn't been a baby in that nursery for about 25 years. The race that we run is not for this moment. But it's for the duration of our life. <laughs> Man, I loved, I loved it. I, I couldn't agree more with what Jason said. I love that mentality. It's a great event, but we've got three events coming up. We've got a young adults thing, uh, we've got a youth thing, and we've got a homeless outreach on the 13th. Like, we've got three major things that are coming up in the next two weeks. It's, it's because this is important. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of the saints. This is important that we can grow in a relationship, in 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 fellowship with each other, to be mobilized, if you will, 
to actually reach people outside of these four walls. So if our design is meant to be different, and our responsibility isn't everybody, but it's somebody, here's the third thing I feel like we see out of this scripture. Look all the way down in verse 4. It says, They said to us, they said, Come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches the sky. And this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. The Lord came down and looked and jumped down to verse 7. The Lord says, come on, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. It's crazy, right, that this amazing unified society, God came down and confused. It's like the verse we read last week out of Romans chapter 9, the prophecy out of Isaiah, where it says that I'm sending a stone to Jerusalem on which some will stumble. I was talking to a mentor of mine this last week, and I was like, isn't that a mind-blowing verse? That Jesus was a rock on which some would stumble. It wasn't the Gentiles who were stumbling. It wasn't the sinners who were stumbling over who Jesus was. It was the saints who were stumbling. But wait a minute. So wait, what does this mean? It's free? You know how long I've worked? You know how much I've tithed? I'm, I'm for sure the biggest giver really wasn't about any of that at all. It was really about the heart behind it because if your heart is right, then no one will have to coerce you to give. No one will have to remind you to give. You're looking for opportunities to give. I'm believing, I told my mentor the other day, I said, I know what God has placed in our heart as a church and I'm believing, the Bible talks about, it talks about really three types of giving. It talks about that some people have the gift of giving. It talks about tithes and then it talks about offerings. Those are really the only three biblical representations of giving. I'm believing the Lord for some people who've got a gift of giving. Because I don't ever want division to be limited by the resources. And I believe that that's where God is leading us. Is he's leading us to a point where we have people, we had people from other ministries who showed up out there yesterday and are talking and just asking about what's going on and what's happening. And like, this is so cool that you guys would even do this. Like, like Jason said it when he was talking to the guys. He's like, I don't think there's anybody in the church who even skates. But like, it's not about that. It's that you're a person who's in need. Therefore, let me give to you. Like, you need to be reached, therefore we will reach you. If you're black, if you're white, if you're whatever, it doesn't matter. If you're young, if you're old, if you're male or female, like, we are going to reach you. Why? Because that is the responsibility that God has given us. He's called us to reach people. And here the Lord comes down in Genesis chapter 11, and he says, look, this is great, man. Isn't this amazing? There's nothing that they, could, they couldn't accomplish. Let's confuse them and give them all different languages. So the Lord gives every single person in this place, he gives them different languages. So instantly what was once unified now becomes confused. It says that from that moment, they all begin to be scattered. Why? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what really mattered was not the city that they built, the tower that they were building. What mattered was the future that God was called into. The third and the final thing that we see, I really think, from the scripture is that my fame is never greater than his future. My fame is never greater than his future. Meaning that I could never do anything that carries more weight, significance, and importance than the one thing that God has called me to. It's a cra- like, stop and actually think about your Bible here for a second. It is a crazy thought that the Lord sees this unified city that's working together to build this thing, and he comes down and says, you know what, this is great. There's nothing that you couldn't accomplish, but this isn't the house that I've called you to build. This is, this is amazing. This is, man, there's nothing that could stop you guys. But guess what? This isn't what I have for you. Gave them languages, scattered them across the earth. Why? Because his purpose must come to pass in the earth. 
His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His purpose is higher than our purpose. Therefore, at the end of the day, nothing else matters than the future that God has for us. Can I challenge you with something today? Like really, like genuinely. Can I challenge you with the idea of what are you doing and why are you doing it? If you're married, you've probably had your spouse at some point look across the couch, table, coffee table, bed, whatever, kitchen island, and say, what are you doing? Like, you've, you've probably had that moment. I get easily distracted, so I hear it more frequently than probably than most. Because I'm just, it's like, I, uh, like this morning is a great example. I was, gonna, I was supposed to change the girls. I was like, hey, Bethany, I asked Bethany, I was like, what do we need to do? She's like, we need to change the girls, bottles, juice, the whole thing. And uh, I was like, okay, I'll change the girls. And then I made a cup of coffee and sat down and started playing with something at the kitchen table. <laughs> and she was like, what are you doing? I was like, uh... I'm about to change them girls. And, uh, and so it, it, it's because we can get distracted and we can get, we can get caught off to the thing that like, is catching our attention for this moment. And these people in Genesis chapter 11, they had an idea for the moment. They had this thought because why they had experienced trauma. And because of their trauma, they had decided to create a tribe. And this tribe was going to protect themselves from any other trauma. And so they kind of circled up and they rallied the wagons around. And they've kind of placed this little security net around themselves because, you know what? We've experienced some difficult things and we refuse to let that happen to us again. And then God comes and interjects himself in the situation, causes them to be forcefully pushed into the future that God has for them. And then the world was able to be fruitful and to multiply. I believe believe that God has, with everything inside of him, the right to push us into the thing that he has. I wonder, I wonder if we all would reach the somebodies that God has called us to, what we could see God do in just such a short time frame. It's interesting because they had a great idea of building something really, really awesome. And it was going well, and people were working together, and it was unified. But it wasn't what God called them to build. You know, it's funny because I have to think about this verse all the time as, as the pastor of Legacy House. I have to think about this fact that, like, it's great. We got some people unified. We're doing some stuff. We're moving. We're at, things are happening. But is it what God has called us to build? It, is this the house that God builds? I can promise you this, that for us as a body and for us, as pastors, our goal and desire is to be the type of church that is built by the hand of God. You know what I believe is really separating and setting Legacy House apart in the city right now? It's not that we're better than anybody. It's simply the fact that we refuse to be inactive. I refuse to believe that Jesus died and hung on the cross just so I could come and get goosebumps on a Sunday morning. It's like, ooh, amen. Did we write that song? Like I, I refuse to believe that that was the sole purpose of the cross. Was so for me to feel good. I believe that the purpose of the cross was so that I could be empowered. I could be empowered to break the chains of sin and bondage off my life. I could be empowered to step into the purpose and the plan that he has for me. That I could walk in freedom and in might. But you know, there's a kind of a linchpin to all of this. And the linchpin to all of this is ownership. It's ownership. Me and Bethany, when we lived in Texas, right before we, about a year and a half before we moved, we, we bought our first home. And uh, buying a first home was, was fun. It was really exciting. We loved our house. 
and uh, we lived up on the north side of Austin, and it was a great house, and it's funny because you go through all this work and process, and you get a loan, and you do all this, and go do all the closing, and you sign hundreds of papers or whatever it seems like, and then get all the way done, take on hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of, worth of debt, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in this spot where they hand you this little bag that's got a couple keys, a couple garage door openers, and that's it. And you're like, man, I just signed all of this for this one little bag. But what that one little bag symbolized was that, that one little bag, even though the objects inside of it were very small and insignificant in value, they symbolized the fact that we were now owners of that home. That that home was my responsibility. That yard was my responsibility. That, like, taking out the trash is now my responsibility. Like, it's my responsibility because it's my house. And I think the, the, the linchpin or the missing link to all of this, and I believe this is kind of the tone that we want to set, and the band can come back up at this time. We're going to close here in just a second. But the tone that we want to set as a body is that we are all owners in this thing. We're not renters, but we're owners. Renters never get planted. Owners grow and produce fruit. Renters, they jump from spot to spot. I, the house I, I, I live in right now, I rent. I hate renting the house. I thought I would love it, but I hate it. So why? Because at the end of the day, it's not my house. There's things I look at it and I see about it, and I'm like, man, I would love to change that, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to give my money to change somebody else's home. I'm not going to invest my hard-earned dollars. I love the guy who I rent the house from. He's a really nice guy. But I'm not going to invest my money to change and upgrade his house. It's not my house. And so many times, that's the way that we operate and live inside of the church. Man, I wish the church would do this. I wish the church could reach this. I wish the church would, would, would see this happen. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not giving my money to it. I'm not giving my time to it. I, you know, I'm too busy. My schedule's full. I'd love to, Pastor. I, I got a heart for people. But you're surrounded by no one. Well, you know, but I've, I've been hurt. So trauma has created your tribe. But the three people who you speak to the most in a week are people who've also been hurt. The people who you spend your time with probably are people who are also hurt. You frustrated the local church? Guess what? I bet your three closest friends are also frustrated with local church. It's the way that it is. Who we're surrounded by shapes who we are. And what happens is, is that we can only get to that spot if we have a renter's mindset rather than an owner's mindset. That I'm here for a moment, but guess what? You preach one bad message, I'm going to find somewhere else. Folks, I know I preach bad messages. I go home sometimes like, yeah, so uh, if I'm going to write up my letter of resignation, should I use black ink or blue ink? <laughs> like, hey, look, we're not here because it's perfect. Because this is led by a person. I'm going to forget to return your phone calls. I'm going to forget to text you back. You're going to ask to meet with me and through a series of just random events that has absolutely nothing to do with you, I'll forget for about three weeks and then we'll go to Waffle House. Because Waffle House is where Jesus meets. <laughs> does. Triple covered hash browns. Fill them up. Put some ketchup on that thing. Living the dream. I only go to another broken egg. Guess what? Get on my level, okay? I go to Waffle House. <laughs> Just playing. 
But what I do know is, is I do know that God has called us to reach a city. The reason we show you videos from the skate outreach is it's not that you're like, man, wasn't that cool? But it's to remind you of our mission. It's to remind you of our purpose. It's to give with nothing being asked in return. We didn't say, hey, you know what? We'll give you a piece of pizza if you come to church tomorrow. It's manipulative evangelism. I'll, I'll love you if you love me back. I'll believe in you if you'll believe in me. I learned early in youth ministry that the greatest way to get invited to places is to invite people to your place. You invite me to your church, I'll invite you to my church. We kind of live on this back-scratching system. Where it's like, look, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You love me, I'll love you. You say that where I am is not a big deal, I'll say that where you are is not a big deal. You say that my attitude's right, I'll say that your attitude's right. And you know what the Bible says, we're two or more gathered, then, I mean, you know, <laughs> we got to be close. No. God is leading us to a moment where he wants to begin to strip down some things inside of our brain. We have a real opportunity. And our church is really gaining traction inside of our city. And our church is gaining traction inside of the city because you're active inside of the city. But here's the thing. We could literally, the skate outreach could be the last great thing that we do. If we all create a monument and we look back and say, man, God has done some amazing things in seven months, hasn't he? Woo, we are blowing up. We haven't even gotten started. We're literally not even scratching the surface. But I can promise you this, because of you, because of this church, I believe is filled with people who actually want to be active in the kingdom of God. We're doing something. We're getting up to speed. You know what it takes? A, two things with the train. It takes a long time to get it up to a speed and it takes a long time to stop it. And as you slowly get that train up to speed, it's where we are. We're not running at full tilt. Engines aren't firing all cylinders. Things go wrong. We... We thought about it yesterday. We got out to the outreach and I'm like, I should have had porta potties out here. You know, there wasn't a single bathroom out there. It's a work in progress, all right? Folks, we're getting, we're getting it lined out. Kids like skating faster, like as the day goes on, trying to keep, keep their mind off the fact they have to use the restroom. <laughs> trying to land as softly as possible. Um, but we have a choice. We have a choice as a church to become owners to really take on the keys of this house. Our Q&A classes today, if you're new at Legacy House and you've never been to our Q&A class, I'd encourage you to come. It's really to do is find out about the heart and the vision of Legacy House and get involved inside of our home team. And today what we're going to do is, at the end of the service, we've got a little thing and Ali's going to bring this tray out here and hand it to me. So here's what we have, Okay is um, we have keys, like literal keys, not like spiritual keys, not like a little card that says you're five steps for breakthrough. Um, we have actual keys, okay? And there's enough for everybody in here. There's a lot of keys. And they're all different. You got like little, little guys like that. 
Some guy in like Wisconsin sold us all these. We got keys. And I, I really believe that for us as a church, us stepping into the thing that God has for us is only possible if we become owners. It's only possible if you become an owner. If you take your key and you say, look, this key is completely different than this key. But this key still unlocks something. And this key unlocks something. And if you have your key and I have my key, then these two keys together can unlock things that this one never could have. Mine can unlock this and yours can unlock that and this whole basket of keys can unlock all these different things if we're simply willing to take a key and be an owner. No one had to force me to receive my keys on the day that I bought that house. No, I was like, please, like this is the least you could give me as a key. But I took my key and I took the responsibility of what was my home. And no one else at the end of the day was responsible for opening up the doors that my key unlocked. I was responsible. My key opened my doors. And today what we're going to do at the end of this, the band is going to play here in just a minute. I'm going to pray for you first. And the band is going to play a worship song. And what I would encourage you to do, my challenge to you is this, is for you to become an owner. For you to take some responsibility in this thing. And I'm not even just talking about serving on a home team. That's great. We believe everybody has an area that you can serve and make a difference. But I'm talking about an area spiritually where you will take a key and say, this is my spot. You can do whatever you want with this key. You can put it on your key ring. You can put it whatever you want to do with it. But we're going to give you the opportunity. And as the band is playing, we're going to release you to come if you would like. This isn't mandatory, folks. No one has to take a key. I can gladly put my key back in here. We can take a whole box of keys home at the end of this. And I'll be like, look, okay, it's great. We know where we are. That's awesome. But I want to challenge you. If you want to really, really take some responsibility. And this might be your first time here. You're like, I don't even know really what this is about. Your name doesn't even say church in it. How do I know that you're not a cult? <laughs> We'd like to invite you for some Kool-Aid and refreshments immediately after. <laughs> Just kidding. Somebody's going to listen to this podcast back. I knew it. There's going to be blogs in Pensacola against me. Beware. Thus saith the Lord, beware. You know, but what it really does is it frustrates a religious spirit when you begin to empower people with a key. Because here's what so many churches would love to do. I'll give you the key when you're ready. I determine when you're ready. These are my keys to give to who I choose to give them to. The Bible says freely you received, so freely you give. Hey, guess what, man? Jeez. Look. Not everybody wants to be an owner. Because when you hold key, you hold the responsibility that goes with that key. Some of you, it's going to be a pretty big responsibility. But I can promise you this, the responsibility is uniquely created to how God made you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. You can find more info and resources from Legacy House on our website, www.legacyhouse.life, or by following us on social media under the handle at Legacy House FL. 
Don't miss next week's podcast from our house to yours.